Amen. Come on, let's appreciate Brother Rob for leading us this morning. <laughs> Wonderful job. Uh, really just showing us um, uh, an example of encouraging the body of Christ uh, to lean in and, and get the most of what it means to follow him completely. Um, so today we are uh, in the month of November. And if, um, if you pay attention to things that come into your mailbox at home or into your email inbox or whatever it may be, uh, then you don't have to uh, take too much time to recognize that Black Friday is coming up, right? I mean, I get, I get messages from people I don't want messages from telling me about things that I should buy that I have no interest in buying. And so I try to do the best I can to gather it all up and throw it away before Drea comes home. So it doesn't start getting any, any ideas, right? Isn't that interesting how it works in this season, right? As we get ready, of course, you know, everybody kind of forgets about Thanksgiving, and all of a sudden we're thinking about Christmas. Starbucks has the red and the green cups and all these different things. And here we are already thinking about, you know, and the original intent with Black Friday, uh, you know, where there's typically a lot of deals and Cyber Monday, um, nowadays, nobody even like respects that specific day. It's just like the entire month, right? And it's all based around trying to get us to have um, a, uh, an interest in things that we didn't even know that we wanted or needed. And then now all of a sudden we see it like three, four times, five times. And next thing you know, we're kind of like, yeah, you know, I think, I think we could use that Bluetooth toaster. Um, <laughs> That we could just connect to our phone so that when we wake up in the morning, we like send it a text message to start making our bagel for us, right? Um, yeah, that would be really nice. Like, I, I've never actually heard of a Bluetooth toaster. Maybe you have. But it's kind of ridiculous the amount of things that start coming our way with all these different ideas, right? And then next thing you know, we, we get so excited about them only to go and stand in long lines or to make sure that we're up at midnight just so that we can order that one thing that we're going to get that's only going to last like 10 months and then we're going to be looking for a replacement. Right? And so we go out and we, we get that, that extra thing that we thought was going to make us feel a little bit more satisfied, only to realize that we just gave ourselves a little bit more debt and a little bit more dissatisfaction, but we thought we needed that thing. Because value is an interesting thing, isn't it? Right? The way that we put value on things. Let me give you a little, uh, a little uh, taste of what I'm talking about. So um, many of us were probably watching the game or watching at least highlights when Albert Pujols hit his 700th home run. Right, and uh, that was kind of exciting to see that um, he's been in the the major leagues for a long time. And I saw that the ball that somebody caught, that home run ball, sold at an auction for three hundred and sixty thousand dollars for a baseball. Right? Some of you are like, I should have been at that game, man. It would would have boxed some people out and got that ball, and then you know. Um, I saw another story. Um, some of us are familiar with former Laker Lamar Odom who fell on hard times. And during his hard times of drug addiction and different things, hitting a low uh, of the lowest of lows in his life, he took two of his uh, NBA championship rings to a pawn shop and sold them um, for a total of about a little over $100,000 total for both rings. And I read recently that uh, he was, you know, kind of on the road to recovery at a game and a fan that was sitting next to him said, hey, you're Lamar Odom. And, uh, and then uh, apparently a little bit while later, a fan came and brought him his rings back and said, you, you sold these at a pawn shop, but these belong to you. You deserve to have them. Didn't charge him for them. Didn't say, I'll give them to you for X number of dollars. Just said, here you go. 
right? Value, value. So on the one hand, somebody's willing to spend hundreds of thousands of dollars, must be nice on NBA championship rings, and yet somebody else is willing to turn around and say, these belong to you, sir. I spent my good hard-earned money on these. Here you go. They're back to you. It just demonstrates a, a verse in the Bible that is familiar to some of us where Jesus is teaching and he says, I want to teach you something about value. He says, your treasure is where your heart is. So wherever your heart and your passion is, that's where you're going to store up what you have. You're going to align your, your, your worth, your value, your dollars. You're going to align your time, your energy, your focus. You're going, to allow, you're going to align your talent, all these different things, with stuff that you really care about. So the opposite is true. Uh, if, we, if we really want to challenge ourselves today, and we essentially say, where, where don't I spend my time? Where don't I invest my energy? Where don't I invest my resources? Where don't, wherever it is that we do not invest those things, essentially it means we don't care about those things. Some of us in here are like, wait a second, Pastor Kobe, you can't flip it on me like that. But it's true. I make time for things that are really important to me. Even though my life can sometimes be very busy, Right? Um, but I don't get to say, hey, you know what, my time's so busy, so uh, I, I'm not going to give my, my son, my youngest son, uh, enough attention to sit down and build some Legos with him. No, even if I'm tired, even if my, my time, my schedule is crazy busy, it's my responsibility and my joy to get down on my behind in a, a, a crisscross applesauce position and play some Legos, even though I can't stand them. Uh, you know why I can't stand them? Uh, for a couple reasons. One is if you got like a thousand piece set and all of a sudden you only kept 999, then now you can't build that set anymore. And it, got, it, it gets me real frustrated. Maybe there's a little OCD in there that I need to work out. Anyway, let's get off of that topic for a second. What we really care about, we make time for. What we really care about, we invest in. What we really care about, we focus on and pay attention and carve out space for it. And the opposite is true. If I don't spend any time, energy, money, attention, or focus on something, then essentially what I'm saying is, I don't really care about that. I might care about it a little, but not enough to get a dollar out of my wallet. Not enough to allow me to focus on it a little bit more, right? And so I bring this up because when, when Jesus calls us to live a life of faithfulness, when he, when he comes and, he, and he's redeemed us by the blood uh, on the cross, when he came to forgive us of our sin, when he came to, to redeem us from our brokenness and our darkness and our past, then, then there are many of us who enjoy the overflow of salvation and we enjoy being saved, but we may... Uh, have a tendency to ignore the fact that when he saved us, he bought us with a price. What does that mean? If Jesus bought us with a price, then that means what he's asking of us, what he says is, if anyone comes after me, they must deny themselves, pick up their cross, and follow me daily. So Jesus' invitation um, was never intended to be, hey, let me solve all your problems, and then you can walk around 
like with your happy self, not worrying about trying to, to, to be part of what my call and my invitation to be faithful to the, to the call of discipleship. Right? And so the call to discipleship is we have been saved, not just for the sake of being saved, but we have been saved with a purpose. Right? We've been saved uh, so that we can live a saved life and a redeemed life. We have been offered forgiveness so that we can in turn offer forgiveness. We have been offered healing so that in turn we can offer healing. We, we have been offered reconciliation so that we in turn can offer reconciliation. So the invitation to be saved and redeemed by God is to be part of his redemption plan. Does that make sense? So the, the first question of any uh, brand new disciple of Jesus or any disciple of Jesus who's been walking with him for years and years, decades and decades, is now that I have been redeemed, now that I have been saved, now that I have been rescued, now that I have been healed, is we take inventory of our lives, of where we are in that moment, and the biggest question that we can ask is, God, how can I use what you've given me to glorify your name? How can I use my story and my story of redemption? See, some of us, when, when, when we're talking about a story of redemption, after God has healed us and redeemed us and restored us from so much, we're so embarrassed of our past that we end up being really quiet about what God healed us from. The, the danger in being quiet about what God saved us from is that somebody else who's dealing with that same stuff is not going to hear a message of somebody who used to be where they were and experienced the goodness of God and brought them to a place now where they could never imagine themselves being, and they're never going to have an opportunity to be, to be encouraged because we're so embarrassed and ashamed of where we used to be before. Amen. We're holding back somebody's ability to hear your testimony that will then lead to life transformation, redemption, and salvation because of the fact that we're a little bit embarrassed of that past. No, use your story to glorify God. Man, I used to be over here doing all this and, and, and embarrassed and ashamed of all that. But guess what? God healed me from that, and I no longer live that life anymore. The Holy Spirit lives in me, and I now make decisions differently, and I now act differently and talk differently and, and live differently because God is within my heart. Give God glory. Give him praise. So what, what, what is one of the things that we can use? We could use what God has done, our testimony right? To glorify God. The other thing we do is we start examining ourselves and we're saying, okay, Lord, uh, what else can you use? And then he begins to identify some of the gifts and the talents that he's given you, right? Maybe he's given you a, a gift and talent of, of creativity, maybe a gift and talent of organization, administration, gift and talent of leadership, gift and talent of music, gift and talent of art, gift and talent of all these different things, and it's our uh, responsibility and invitation to say, okay, Lord, how can you use the way that you've gifted me and, and given me these talents to bring honor and glory to your name? Right? I, I often like to point out the fact that when we talk about gifts or spiritual gifts, you know, we often use this very individualized language where, they, where we say, what are my spiritual gifts? When in reality, spiritual gifts were never meant for the individual, but they were meant for the body. So in other words, God is entrusting us with particular gifts to edify the entire church. So it's not so much my spiritual gifts. It's not even about me. It's about, Lord, how do you want to utilize me to be a blessing to everybody? 
right? And, and so this invitation, this call that God has given us is this call to essentially say, God, what is it that I have and how can I bring you glory and honor with what you've given me? Right? With what you've given me. So let's look at a few scripture uh, passages that reference this, uh, this theme. Today we're going to be talking about a theme. I want everybody to repeat this after me. Time. Talent. And treasure. Say it one more time. Time. Talent. And treasure. The invitation to follow Jesus is the invitation to say, Lord, I want to give you my time. I want to give you my talent, and I want to give you my treasure. We're going to look at John chapter 6. John chapter 6. Let's look at verse 1 together. Some time after this, Jesus crossed to the far shore of the Sea of Galilee, that is, the Sea of Tiberias. And a great crowd of people followed him because they saw the miraculous signs he had performed on the sick. Then Jesus went up on a mountainside, and he sat down with his disciples. The Jewish Passover feast was near. When Jesus looked up and he saw a great crowd coming toward him, he said to Philip, Where should we buy bread for these people to eat? Where should we buy bread for these people to eat? He asked this only to test him, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. Philip answered him, Eight months' wages! would not buy enough bread for each one to have a bite. Another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. Here is a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish, but how far will they go among so many? I don't know about you, I look at this passage of scripture and the first person I think of is Andrew, the disciple, who comes up and Jesus is looking at thousands of people And here, Andrew sees that there's one little boy with a little small sack lunch in his brown paper bag, and he walks up. And I I, I just wonder if I were Andrew, if I would feel a little foolish to offer as a solution to Jesus, hey, there's thousands of people here. I mean, we got a Lunchable. It's got an Oreo and everything. You know, it's one of the good ones with the Capri Suns, you know, not like the half Lunchables, right? It's like the full, like Lunchable Supreme or whatever you call it when it's got the dessert and the, the Capri Sun. And he's like, we got a Lunchable right here, Lord. Like, uh, think about it. You got, a thousand, you got thousands of people, right? The, the scriptures say 5,000, and many interpretations say that that only counted the men that were present, so not including the women and the children. So if we're adding everybody up, we're talking about like 10,000 people all here on the mountainside listening to Jesus preach, and, and Jesus is like, they're getting hungry, and I'd rather not disrupt the movement of God in this moment, so let's keep them here, and let's, uh, let's call Uber Eats to get them all fed. And and the first one who responds, Philip, says, that's like eight months worth of wages. Like, this is a lot of money. Like, and if I'm Philip, I want to remind Jesus, remember, we all used to have jobs before we started following you. (laughs) And now we don't have jobs, and you want us to pay money to get all these people fed. What's going on here, Jesus? I'm a little confused. Because I used to have my, my, my wallet was fat, but now I left my nets behind. I left my fishing industry behind. All the stuff that I used to do to make money, I don't have that anymore. And now you're asking us to buy everybody lunch. How many of you enjoy buying people lunch when you go out together, right? I know some of you, I've had lunch with some of you where like you intentionally wait long and like stand back just to see, you know, if somebody's going to offer to pick up your, your, your bill, right? 
But I know some people that like, you know, they, they start fighting you for the bill, the check. You know, they're like, I got it, I got it. And then you say like, no, 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 I got it. And then they don't fight you back. You know, they're like, okay, cool, you got it. You know, like, like just a little etiquette in the, you know, in a little etiquette. You got to fight back at least like two, three times to show that you actually were hoping to buy the bill, right? Because if you give up on the first try, you wasn't trying to pay for it in the first place. Let's just keep it real. So here, so Philip is talking to Jesus and he's like, Jesus, we don't have all that money. We don't have... $40,000 to pay for lunch for, to cater for all these people out here. How are we supposed to get that done, right? And then the next idea comes up, we got a Lunchable. I mean, are you just like picturing the, 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 the hilariousness of this passage so far? Verse 10, Jesus said, have the people sit down. And there was plenty of grass in that place, and the men sat down, about 5,000 of them. And Jesus took the loaves, and he gave thanks and distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted. He did the same with the fish. And when they had all they had, when they had, all had enough to eat, he said to his disciples, gather the pieces that are left over. Let nothing be wasted. So they gathered them and filled 12 baskets with the pieces of the five barley loaves left over by those who had eaten. And after the people saw the miraculous sign that Jesus did, they began to say, surely this is the prophet who is to come into the world. And so this miracle of the feeding of the 5,000 happened because one boy brought a little bit that he had before Jesus and said, I don't have much, but whatever it is that I have, here, I'm going to give it over to you. I mean, I love looking at this passage because just to begin with, he gave up his own lunch. He gave up what he was supposed to eat. And he was probably hungry. He probably, his stomach was probably starting to rumble at that point because he had been out there in this multitude, right? And, but yet he looked at what he had and he said, you know, I don't know how far this Lunchable could go, but I bet you at least three or four of us could probably get a little cracker here and a piece of cheese there, right? Break up the fish a little here and there and, and spread it out. Maybe at least three or four of us could share that. And, and I love the fact that Jesus honors this boy's action. He honors his action by essentially saying, hey, I, I see that you recognize in this very moment that you would rather somebody else enjoy the meal than you. Right? Jesus was honoring the fact that this little boy didn't have $30,000, $40,000 to pay for everybody's lunch. He didn't have a whole lot of different things. But what he did have, he said, I'm giving it to you, Lord. Do with it what you will. Isn't it amazing to think that our little in God's hands is always enough to do miraculous things? I mean, the little bit that I have that I don't think is very much, when I put it in the hands of Jesus, it gets multiplied to the point where now it can be a blessing to multitudes because of the fact that I have placed my little bit of resources in the hands of an almighty God. So one of the lessons that we can take from this is uh, simply saying whatever it is that you have before you laugh at it or say that it's not enough or walk in the opposite direction and not even offer it because you are af afraid of the fact that it might be embarrassing that you even step forward. I mean, how many uh, other uh, settings would somebody like this come forward with their little bit of lunch and everybody would have been, what are we supposed to do with that, man? Get out of here. Get this little boy out of here. This is a grown person conversation because we're trying to solve a real problem. 
I mean, how, how many other settings would have mistreated him? And yet in Jesus' presence, Jesus honored his action of all these disciples and all these uh, uh, amazing folks who were trying to, to, to follow Jesus. It took for a boy, a little boy, to come forward and say, here you go, Lord, you can have what I have. You can have what I have. And so kind of connecting this story to where we are, how often then do do we come before the Lord generously like this young boy, not thinking about whether or not we're going to skip lunch, but instead saying, Lord, I trust you. I mean, if we can unpack this little boy's theology just for a second, he he had a theology that recognized that God was the one that provided that lunch for him in the first place. Right? I, I didn't get this on my own. And so as a result, if Jesus is asking for something to help feed others, then I'm in. I'm in. All right, let's look at another passage of Scripture that kind of talks about this in a, in a different way. We're going to go to Mark, Gospel of Mark, chapter 12. Gospel of Mark, chapter 12. Mark 12, 41. Jesus sat down opposite the place where the offerings were put. And he watched the crowd putting their money into the temple treasury. Many rich people threw in large amounts. Now they probably walked up real slow, wearing their nice clothes in the middle of the temple had their $100 bills rolled up with uh, rubber bands or their, uh, their gold coins wrapped up in a nice leather bag, went you know as slow as they could all the way to the front and then all the way to the back so that everybody could see their, their good works, dropped their money in real loud to make sure that everybody could hear the clinging from their gold coins. Verse 42, but a poor widow came and put in two very small copper coins worth only a fraction of a penny. Calling his disciples to him, Jesus said, I tell you the truth, this poor widow has put more into the treasury than all the others. They all gave out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in everything, all she had to live on. See, this story uh, stays with us because it was a story of somebody that Jesus witnessed and that his disciples were there. I love the fact that Jesus was the kind of teacher that was able to take real life moments and examples and provide a lesson that came out of that. And Jesus was watching this scene and he saw those who were coming up, uh, you know, fancy, elegantly giving their offering. And then he saw this poor woman who didn't have much at all come forward. And rather than holding on with a tight fist to the little bit that she had left with an open hand, she brought forward and said, I trust God. So Jesus highlights this moment because he wants his disciples, but also us, his later disciples, to see this story and be reminded, right, rather than living our lives in such a way that we hold tightly what we have because we're nervous that we're not sure where the next bit is going to come from. 
Instead, we are called to say, Lord, I trust you that even the little bit that I have, you gave to me, and therefore, you can restore to me whatever it is that I need to survive. So here you go, God, you can have it. We love stories like this in the scripture because it reminds us of the importance of recognizing that the first thing that we can do and should do is to ask ourselves, what is it that I have to give? What is it that I, what is, what, what is the time that I have to give? What is the energy that I have? What is the talent that I have to give? What is the treasure that I have to give to God? Now, all of us have different time, talent, treasure. All of us have different times. Some might be retired and you worked your entire life and praise God. And, and I know some folks who retire from their full-time job. And I've heard people say, and there are some of you here, and I'm not going to call out specific names, who have said, now that I'm retired, I can devote more of my time to serving God. That's awesome. That's a blessing. That's, a, that's an example to us. When we live in a culture and a world that says, you don't have enough time, talent, treasure, And if you do have enough time, talent, and treasure, spend it on yourself because you earned it. You deserve it. Or you live in a culture that is constantly telling us, go get more because that's going to make you happy. Go and upgrade it because your other one is, is, uh, is old, even though it still works just fine. We get caught up in this situation and moment where whether it be our desire to fulfill our own needs or whether we're living from a place of scarcity, it holds us back from truly being able to say, Lord, I want to live for you and give you my time, my talent, and my treasure. And yet this woman comes forward and says, here it is. This is all I have, and I'm giving it to to the Lord. I want to turn our attention to one more story. Before I go there, it reminded me of, uh, of a story of a, a man I met named Eddie um, uh, in Romania. Pastor Joe and myself had the opportunity to uh, participate in a missions trip in, in Romania. And the missions trip was with an organization called Teen Challenge. And teen, many of us are familiar with Teen Challenge. We have some who are from the American Teen Challenge. And uh, we were invited to be part of the Teen, Ch- teen Challenge ministry in Romania. And in this particular ministry, uh, they, they uh, had uh, every single day of the week, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday, the ministry team would go and be part of different kinds of ministry in the city of uh, Bucharest in Romania. And one of the days, they'd go down into the sewers, because that's where many people live to stay out of the cold, Um, and they would go and they would bring food and medical equipment, and they would pray with those who lived in the sewers. Another day, they would open up a coffee house, and they would welcome those who were recovering from or still in a life of drug addiction to preach the gospel, offer coffee and worship, and essentially provide a space where people can be cared for. Another day, they would go and visit the prisons, and then another day, they would go and visit uh, what was called a methadone clinic, where people who were trying to recover from drug addiction would go, and they would sit down and have long conversations with those. It was a beautiful ministry. And, uh, and then another part of their ministry was back at the ranch, I'll call it, out in the outskirts of the city, about 40 minutes outside of downtown. They had a home, a two-story home that people from the United States largely would, had donated so that it could be bought and used as a discipleship training facility. And they would do discipleship and vocational training for those who were serious about having their lives changed. 
Um, and it was beautiful to see just the, the level of intentionality and, and, and the way in which there was uh, everything from let's go and meet people on the streets to let's bring them in and, and house them for over, over 12 months so that they could be ready to graduate from this program. And one of the days that we were out walking in the street, in middle of downtown Bucharest, I mean, it looks just like downtown LA, you got skyscrapers, we're walking down the streets, and all of a sudden this gentleman with a Michael Jordan Chicago Bulls jersey comes running up to us. And I'm thinking to myself, oh man, I don't know what's going on here, man. Why is this dude running up to us, right? Because he wasn't like six foot six and dark skinned, so I knew he wasn't the real Michael Jordan. He was about five foot six, lighter skin. He ran up to us and he reached into his pocket. And, uh, and I saw the brother that I was with that was part of the ministry. His name was Kathleen. He kind of stepped forward toward this gentleman and immediately gave him a big hug. A hug lasted for at least a minute. And after the hug, he pulled out some money in the back of his pocket. And he gave it to the pastor, right? Pastor Kathleen. And they prayed together. And afterward, Kathleen looked at us and said, Eddie graduated from our program. Uh, now he, he still lives on the streets, but he washes cars for a living, and he tithes to Teen Challenge whatever money that he gets from washing cars because he's thankful that Teen Challenge was there for him and helped him get on his feet to have the job that he has washing cars, and he's faithful with his tithes to this ministry and organization. Man, I saw that take place in the middle of this uh, foreign country to me, in the middle of this city, and I thought to myself, wow, that is somebody who's got gratitude in his heart. That is somebody who, who has the, the spirit of, of joy, the spirit of, uh, of fulfillment, the, the spirit of, of generosity in his heart. How many others who don't yet have an apartment to live in or a house to call their own would say, I don't have enough just yet. I can't tithe to the ministry that was so crucial and instrumental in helping me get back on my feet. To him, he thought to himself, man, I thank God for what I have and I want to give and sow a seed back into this ministry to help other lives out. How awesome is that? And yet we are over here in the United States of America comparing ourselves to the people that live next door. Because their TV is one inch bigger than ours. Or their car is two years newer. Or their grass is a little bit greener. And we compare ourselves and it causes us to think of value and the way that we spend our time, talent, and treasure in ways that do not have any kind of eternal significance whatsoever. It's going to rust, rust and be destroyed. It's going to break down and we're going to need to replace it with another one. And so our invitation today is to think about investing our time, talent, and treasure that things that, in things that last forever. Investing our time, talent, and treasure in God's call to be faithful. I want to close with this last scripture story. John chapter 12. John chapter 12, verse 1. It says, Six days before the Passover, Jesus arrived at Bethany where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. Here a dinner was given in Jesus' honor, and Martha served while Lazarus was among those reclining at the table with him. 
Then Mary took about a pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume. She poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But one of the disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was later to betray him, objected. Why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It was worth a year's wages. He did not say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. As keeper of the money back, he used to help himself to what was put into it. Leave her alone, Jesus replied. It was intended that she should save this perfume for the day of my burial. You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. This is one of the most beautiful stories in Scripture, in my opinion, that illustrate worship. Uh, another telling of this story indicated that the, the, the perfume that she used to anoint Jesus' feet and to wipe his feet with her hair was worth about a year's wages. So we could do the math to understand the worth and value of what she did in that very moment. Judas tried to object and Jesus interjected by simply saying she poured out everything that she had as an expression of gratitude, as an expression of thanksgiving, as an expression of saying, Lord, you're worth it. Jesus, you were worth it. Uh, some even believe that there's a, a correlation between Mary's gift, her worship, this moment of, of uh, her offering that she brought before Jesus and the fact that there was a woman that Jesus saved who was caught in adultery. And we see that when, when we have experienced the radical salvation forgiveness of Jesus, when we have experienced mercy, when we've experienced his presence, when we've experienced his goodness, you can't put a price tag on that. So for Mary, she came before Jesus saying, you're worthy of it all. You're worthy not just of the money that I saved to buy this perfume. You're worthy of not just my tears. You're worthy of not just me using my hair as a towel in this moment. You're worthy of me not worried about what other people at this fancy dinner were thinking about this woman who barged through the doors and dropped down on her knees to worship and cry at the feet of Jesus in thanksgiving. She said to him, you're worthy of it all. You're worthy of, uh, of my time. You're worthy of my talent. You're worthy of my treasure. You're worthy to be exalted. There is nothing that I can or should hold back when it comes to, to giving back to the Lord all that he has done for us. Say, Lord, you, you, you've, you've, you've changed my life. You've restored me. You, you've, you've discipled me. You've placed my feet on solid ground. You've done so much for me. Here's a dollar in the offering today. I hope that it can be used somewhere. And then we leave here and go somewhere and spend a thousand of them on things that are going to break within the next year. Is that demonstrating offering to God the best of our time, the best of our talent, and the best of our treasure? We reserve those things for things that are important to us. So as we, as we are in this month of November and as we think about coming just a few days away from Thanksgiving, what's really in our heart? Is gratitude really in our heart? Are we really grateful? Right? And as if we think about being grateful, then will that gratefulness lead us to live lives that are honoring God with our time, with our talent, 
and with our treasure. Would you stand with me this morning as we close in a word of prayer? Again, whether it be the little boy bringing forth just a little bit of bread and fish, whether it be the woman bringing forth a little bit of her last two copper coins, or whether it be this woman who came and brought an offering before Jesus, allow these stories to be a reminder to us that we have an invitation to say, Lord, I want to give you my life. And when I say life, I mean everything. I mean what I think about. I mean where I am. I mean what I use with my resources that you've blessed me with. I mean with my energy and my gifts and my talent. God, I want you to be glorified with that. Amen. There's anybody here this morning who would say, Lord, I want you to be glorified in my life. I, w- I want to make sure that you know that you are my priority, that there's nothing that takes precedence. Lord, I want you to know that even though I live in a world that values and prioritizes so many earthly and temporal things, I want to be one who decides instead to say, I give you my life, Lord, and I want my life, my choices, what I do with what I have to bring honor and glory to you for eternal purposes. Amen. Let's pray together. Lord, we come before you this morning giving you thanks and praise that you are a good God, that you have provided for us. Uh, We thank you, God, that you uh, didn't have to rescue us from our sin and from the consequences of sin, which is death. But you did out of your own generosity. We thank you, Father, that you don't have to forgive us time and time again when we turn away and go astray and do our own thing, but instead you offer us moment after moment an invitation to be reconciled and made right with you. Father, we thank you that you've been our healer. We thank you that you've been our redeemer. We thank you that when we had no hope, you gave us hope. We thank you, God, that when we were uh, those who just were filled with doubt and darkness, instead you replaced it with faith. Father, we thank you that you have been so good. And so, Lord, we want to be the kind of people who respond by offering to you the best of what you've given us. Lord, take our time. And we're not just talking about the time that we give to show up to church. Yep, that's great. It's wonderful to come together to worship you, to be in your house together. But we're talking about, even when we leave this place, devoting our our time and saying, Lord, I'm not just going to make my schedule and see how you fit into my schedule, but I'm going to declare that you are my God and start with that. Start with the fact that you are uh, my Savior, that you are my Lord, uh, the one that is calling me. So I'm going to start with that, and then I'm going to build my schedule in such a way that reflects that commitment. So my time is yours. My talent is yours, Jesus. Uh, You've wired me and you've wired us the way that you have for a particular reason. Uh, That's no accident. You don't make mistakes. So God, we want to come and bring before you our gifts and our talents and say, Lord, use them for your glory so that others might be edified and encouraged, whether they be gifts within the church, gifts outside of the church. Use what you've given us to bring you honor and glory back to your name. And Lord, our treasure. Father, you have provided for us in so many ways. Lord, you've blessed us with jobs, with promotions, God, you've blessed us with 
a roof over our head, clothes on our back, shoes on our feet, vehicles to get us from A to B, food in our refrigerators, in our pantries. And we recognize, God, that we didn't get that for ourselves. You've been faithful to us. You've provided for us time and time again. And so, Lord, we declare this morning that even our treasure, even what you've provided for us belongs to you. And we want to use that to bring you honor and glory, Father. Forgive us when we've hoarded our time and we've hoarded our talents and we've hoarded our treasure. Forgive us when we've thought, ah, it's not very much. I can't really afford to give to God. I can't really afford to give to others. Forgive us when our mindset has been one of scarcity and not one of abundance. Teach us instead, Lord, to be reminded that where it came from, from your hand, there's plenty more of it. So teach us to trust you, Father. And so we offer to you today our time and our talent and our treasure for you to be glorified. In Jesus' name, amen. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Come on, give God a hand of praise. Hallelujah. Many of you who were here last week know that we introduced the missions pledge card. Okay, it should be in your bulletin. Anybody who received the bulletin this morning as well will have received another one. We simply want to remind each and every one of you that at the end of the month, on November 27th, the, the last Sunday